part of this since its uh, inception. So uh, this is for their benefit. And to them, we say naughty, naughty on you. You're bad people for not being here. Just kidding. Somebody laugh, please. Fill the void. <laughs> it's good to be here. Appreciate Shelby uh, filling in and playing for us tonight. Always appreciate these young ladies and uh, their efforts to, uh, to help our worship. We are in part two tonight of the piercing, and uh, this is going to be, uh, a section of this is going to be very, I want to use the word intimate, I think I used that this morning, uh, and it's good, I think, for our young people to be here to hear this, because this is a part of the birds and the bees. So what you're going to hear is out of God's word, and I think it's good for young ladies and young men to hear this. So here we go. The word covenant, we mentioned this last week in the Old Testament. One of the words for covenant is bereath, and it has to do with a contractual cutting, a compact, a contract, a contract made between two people who are both willing to do this contract. And in this agreement or contract, there's always a, a cutting of flesh that takes place between these two pieces of flesh. And we're going to see this in great detail as it's mentioned in the Bible. But do you remember the parts of the covenant so far? What's the first one? Pronouncements. We're engaged. Okay. The second one is what? The two parties. It's always two, never more. And then there's the commands that go with it the precepts, then there's the promises, and now we're into the piercings. And again, this is part two, as we began this last week. Malachi chapter two, I hope you'll open your Bibles and follow along here. I'll give you time to get to each one. We're going to be in Genesis, Malachi, uh, and even Jeremiah a little later on. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, then go back one book, you'll find it. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. It says there, The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. If you remember, the word treacherously meant that Just because she burned the toast or she got a wrinkle or two that oil of delay did not take care of, he pushed her out of the house and he got rid of her. That's not the way God intended it to happen. But even our marriages are referred to as covenants today. Every marriage is a covenant. It is an agreement between two people because the minute that guy gets down on his knees, and I hope he did this for every one of you ladies, if he didn't raise your hand, uh, when he got down on his knees and said, will you marry me? You either agreed or said, not today. So you are a willing partner in that covenant. But who is it that takes the marriage covenant seriously? According to Scripture, Malachi 2, God takes it serious, first of all, above all else. He's the author of marriage, and God saw Adam's need. I found a little story I I thought would be humorous to, to introduce here. Maybe you've heard this. If you have heard it, laugh anyway. Uh, God and Adam are talking one day in the garden before he created a woman. And God said, Adam, I have an idea. 
I'm going to make a help me for you. I'm going to make a, a creature that's going to help you around the house. She's going to clean for you, cook for you, pick up after you, because frankly, Adam, you're a pig. You're a slob. Adam said, well, that sounds great, but what's it going to cost me? God said, well, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam thought for a little bit, and he said, well, what can I get for a rib? There's another one that gets back at the men. It goes like this. God and Adam are talking one day, and Adam looks to God and said, God, I see this creature over here. Why did you make her so beautiful? God said, that's because so you'll love her. And Adam said, well, God, I hate to bring this up, but why would you make her kind of dumb? He said, that's so she'd love you. God was the one, according to Scripture, who, in, who began the marriage covenant. Uh, God saw Adam's need, and as we know from Scripture, God put Adam into a deep sleep of darkness. We're going to see this come about later. And God cut him. He cut in his side, and you've probably heard it said, he, he did not take woman from his head to be over him or from his foot to be under him, but from his side to be next to him as a helpmeet. There could not be a covenant without some sort of cutting. And God is the one who did the first cutting so that that covenant could take place. God was also the one who made this first cutting and brought, brought the bride or gave the bride away to her husband and that happens in most marriages today in one uh, way or another if the father of the bride is no longer living someone else will step into his place and give away the bride it's more of a tradition than anything else but uh, the giving away of the bride in the wedding is something that people still do today a lot of times we do things even in marriages, that we really don't give much thought to. But it's, it was done with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, great-grandma. It's been done all through history, so we just continually perpetuate certain things that we do. Adam and Eve together had to take part in another cutting in the marriage covenant in order to seal this covenant. The cutting takes place during what we re refer to as sexual intercourse. Now, we know what that is. Every one of us who are married knows what that is, and even our young teenagers have an idea of what that is. But this cutting takes place during the consummation of a marriage. And I, I've known in times past where certain marriages were not consummated for whatever reason, and one or either of the couples will go to a judge and say, it was never consummated, and it's annulled. It's cut off as though they were never married. Now, up until this time, the girl is called a virgin. Now, we see this all through Scripture. We hear about this today. Generally, when a girl, a young woman, has, and this is biblical, I'm going to point this out, when a young girl, a young woman has intercourse for the first time, generally speaking, there is for the first time a bit of blood, a cutting that takes place. Especially in biblical days when they got married between 11 and 14 years old. Her hymen, you know what the hymen is. Her hymen was penetrated and there is a cutting, therefore, there is blood that comes as a result. 
All right? The hymen is, I'm not going to go too, too heavy on this, but the hymen is the mucous membrane that surrounds or partially covers the external vaginal opening of a woman. The hymen is named from a Greek god, Hymenaeus, who was the Greek god of weddings and marriages. When the hymen tears, there's generally a small amount of bleeding, not much at all, not much to consider, and this blood was pretty much proof, and we'll see this in the Old Testament, that a young girl or a woman was a virgin. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 22, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22, we're going to see this as God places this before us in really a, a beautiful way, but man often wants to do things improperly. Deuteronomy 22, <clears throat> beginning at verse number 13, just two, three verses here. Deuteronomy 22, 13, it says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her, and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, now here's, here's, the, here's the, the thing that's happening here. He goes into her and he, he does his thing and then he decides, I don't like her all that much uh, after all. So he wants to kick her out. But there's going to be proof that he can't do that legally. Uh, he said, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city of the gate. The evidence here is kind of gross. It's talking about the bloody sheets that would come out after they had, for the first time, this sexual intercourse. And just to keep some men from worrying, just because you got married and that did not happen, in our society today, a young girl can ride a bicycle, ride a horse, do gymnastics, do a number of different activities that can cause that to break at some early age in her life where it's not there when she does get married and have the, uh, the natural consummation of a marriage. Uh, but whether or not there is blood, there is still the cutting. And we know how that takes place by the intercourse, the marriage being consummated as God has set it up to be. Another thing we almost always do out of tradition. Uh, and that is the cutting of the wedding cake. Remember this? Anybody, any of you have wedding cake? Anybody, anybody have any left? Some people put a piece or two back for a year from their marriage date. And you, you guys still have yours, Steve? Pat? No? Okay. I was wanting a piece of it. But, uh, there is the cutting of the cake. Now, I performed a, a few marriages in my, my lifetime as a, a minister, a preacher, and I have yet to see where the cutting of the cake was not a part of the reception. I have yet to see a wedding where there was no cake at all. And if they, they did not have cake, I'd say, I'm not doing the wedding. I'm kidding. I like cake. But have you ever wondered why most brides and grooms cut the cake together? We don't give this much thought other than it's just a nice picture to have for our album later. It's not just so we can have dessert. It's not just a nice thing. As a matter of fact, I looked this up online. Back in the 1500s, 1600s, I think it was, they used to have wedding pie. 
and they made it out of, I want to say, some kind of a, a cock sparrow's brains because it was an aphrodisiac. Anybody want pie? No. Cake didn't come in until a little bit later, but it may have been there about the same time uh, as well. But, but I told a young couple one time that I was about to marry that this was the, the, the fact, that the cutting of the cake was a part or another section of the wedding vow. And the late young lady didn't believe me. We had a couple weeks before the actual wedding took place, and she went home and looked it up. She went to her library because we didn't have uh, Google. Google wasn't born yet. And she came back to me sometime later before the wedding, and she said, I hate to admit it, typical woman, uh, but I was wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. But she said, I was wrong. You were right. That is the history. Uh, that's why we cut the cake. And I was one of the witnesses at that wedding and at a number of other weddings. And, and every single time, the bride's mother or the groom's mother, I don't know who does it, but somebody buys that special knife that they will hold on to for the rest of their life, and they'll probably never use it again, if that's the way you women are. But uh, he places his right hand over her left hand, and they come to that cake at the same time and make that first slice. And then that second slice, they take it out and they shove it in each other's face. You've been there. They were, in essence, vowing again. Again, by the right hand of promise to be true to the covenant they made within that church or that facility where they, they exchange vows, promise to be faithful to one another. The wedding cake is always the highlight of the wedding reception. Again, there's no such thing as a covenant without a piercing or a cutting of some sort. And very quickly, there's one more area within uh, the marriage. It happens today, but we don't, we don't think about it. Can anybody think of another area that re reestablishes the covenant between this man and woman. Anybody think of another one? There's one final one. Any idea? They might go on their honeymoon, and they might come back to their hometown, and they're going to walk up to their house, and what's he going to do? He's going to carry her across the threshold. That is another instance of him saying, we're doing this as we enter a new life together. Isn't that beautiful? See, we don't think about that. Sometimes young men do it just because mom and dad said we should do it. Grandma and grandpa did it. We have pictures of it. We have history of it, but nobody really knows why. It's another portal that they're entering to make this covenant together. Genesis chapter 15. I want you to turn there. We're going to look at uh, a couple of things here. I'm going to butt my sleeves, if you don't mind. Genesis chapter 15, beginning of verse number 1, gives us one of the most comprehensive accounts of, in Scripture on the subject of the covenant. And it is, again, the Abrahamic covenant that we've seen before, we've already looked at briefly, and it reads something like this, starting at verse number 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear. I'll tell you what, if God's going to come and talk to me, that's the first thing I want to hear. Don't be afraid, Mark. Don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham said to God, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my father's house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. That is, the one who's been born in my house is now my heir. Then God, or behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Abram, look toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. You won't be able to count them. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Now, verse four and five, God restates, as he did back in Genesis chapter 12, his promise of blessing to Abraham that he will make of him a great nation and in verse 7, God promises to give him the promised land as a possession. Now, as this promise, at this promise, Abraham asked God a question in verse 8 of Genesis 12. He said, O Lord, how may I know that, you, that I will possess it? What, it? what follows seems to be a strange answer to the question. Genesis 12, verses 9 through 18. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other, but he did not cut the bird. Now get this picture in your head here. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, or Abram I should say, and behold terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. <clears throat> now we notice here that God commanded Abraham to cut the animals in half. In half. Bottom half, top half. Separated. And he arranged these opposite each other, and then God appeared as a smoking oven and a flaming torch. And he came down, God came down, and God walked through these two pieces of each of these, these animals that were killed. 
This was God's assurance to Abram that God takes his covenant very serious. God was making a covenant with Abram as well. You see that? I hope you see that. God is the most faithful covenant keeper that there ever has been or ever will be. If God says he will do something for us, if we stay faithful, we can count on God will be faithful. But if God says, if you're not faithful, I will also give you something else that you don't want, and we can count on that coming about too, if we are not faithful. What God promised, or had, uh, what God had Abraham do in the piercing and the cutting of the animals and walking between the pieces was common. This was common practice back at this time when man made an agreement with each other. And I'm going to show you this here in a little bit. Years ago, it happened to be that in this country, in America, a man's word was his bond. If he said, I promise to do this for you, that man would do it for him unless he was killed or something took him out of, out of the way for that to happen. But today we live in a society where covenants are thrown out as quickly as bathwater far too many times. So we need contracts to be drawn up by lawyers for our protection, contracts that we couldn't read if we tried, understand them. But in the Old Testament days, men would almost always pierce an animal's throat with a knife, stab it, cut it, so it would bleed out very quickly. And they poured that blood out, making a covenant between the two of them. They were saying, in essence, if I break my part of the covenant that we're making here today, then may I be as dead as this creature that we have slit, whose throat we've slit and cut. That's how serious man took covenants and agreements at one time. It was a very serious thing to enter into a covenant with God, and it was a very serious thing to enter into a covenant with any man or person back at this time. They realized that to break the covenant was to invoke the curse of the wrath of the man or the wrath of God on the person who made it with them. They would, in effect, be giving God permission to treat them in the way they treated the animal that had been cut into pieces. And we see the same aspect in the covenant life of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, turn there with me, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Verse number 3. And we're going to go on down to 1 Samuel 22 as well, so be ready to go there. 1 Samuel 18 verse 3 reads this way. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his himself. Now, you remember we talked about David and his covenant with uh, Nathan uh, some time back. But later, we're given some insight into just what was involved in this first covenant when King Saul made this comment in 1 Samuel 22.8. In 1 Samuel 22.8, give you a moment. <clears throat> King Saul was kind of upset because somebody didn't squeal on Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 8, he says, For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Saul is saying to his servants here, Why didn't anybody tell me? I don't like David. 
So why didn't someone tell me Jonathan made a covenant with David? The word for covenant here is not the same word that we saw before, bereath. This is a different uh, Hebrew word. This word is karath. Uh, this is strong number 3772 in case somebody wants to look it up on their own. But this word is found uh, somewhere around 100 times in the Old Testament. And it's generally translated as being cut off or cut down. And I'll show you this here in just a moment. Many times it's used uh, to say that God has cut off a, or cut down a nation of people who've been wicked or, or evil or, or whatever it may be. And we see that with Sodom and Gomorrah. However, there are two, only two times in the Old Testament where it refers to a cutting or a covenant of cutting. And that's in 1 Samuel 22.8 and Jeremiah 34. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20. Saul is saying here that someone should have told me that, that my son cut flesh and made a covenant with David. Somebody should have told me. Jonathan and David cut flesh between themselves, and they walked between those two pieces as God did with Abram there in Genesis. Now go to Jeremiah 34. I want you to see this. This is a bit lengthy, but I won't apologize for that. <clears throat> There's another time when Karath refers to the covenant when, is when the officials and priests enter into a covenant with God himself. And the problem was they were not covenant keepers. They promised, but they did not keep the covenant. Look what God told the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah that he would do to them for breaking the covenant of cutting. Jeremiah 34, jump down to verses eight, verse 18. Jeremiah 34, in verse number 18. It says, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. Verse 19, the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life, and their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. Now, we, if we were in the book of Revelation, this would be much a part of what the book of Revelation speaks of, but I'm not going to go there. But do you think that God takes covenant taking serious? God takes it very serious. Uh, when his people enter into a covenant. If you came into covenant with Christ, don't belittle that. Don't take that slightly. We Christians are the priests of the New Testament. And if this is what God did to the priests of the Old Testament, what do you think he's going to do with those who will break the covenant with his son? It's very serious. Go to Matthew chapter 24, if you would. I'm going to be in the New Testament for just a few moments here. <clears throat> Almost done, not, not quite. Matthew chapter 24. This gives us the answer of what will happen to us who are New Testament priests today. Matthew 24, verse 45. Matthew writes these words as he's inspired of the Holy Spirit. He said, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. 
Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, Huh, my master's not coming for a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drinks with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. Now look at verse 51. And will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's very serious. The Old Testament required blood and a separation In the new covenant, there is blood and there is a separation as well. Jesus Christ was separated from his body in death. We walk through those two to get to glory. Any comments or questions? Anything at all? Is this understandable? Was it clear? Muddy? Is it muddy? Okay. All right. I appreciate it. That's... That's everything we have here on the piercings. So we're going to sing an invitation hymn tonight. And uh, Christian, again, I cannot stress enough that if you have given up, even in part, on the covenant that you made with Christ, I encourage you, come back. Repent, as the Bible says, Start to live for God in the way the covenant reminds you. You know, in marriage, if people gave up on their marriage and still lived together the way they do, I think somebody would be killed eventually because we couldn't stand each other for too long in a covenant where we really do not honestly love one another. We're called to love God, and we're called to keep His commandments. If you're not a Christian, tonight's the night to give yourself to Christ for the first time in a covenant relationship where you're covered with his blood. We're going to stand and sing our hymn of decision, 378.